So good morning, family. Good morning. Well, Jeff and I, as we prayed and considered where do we want to go with this next six weeks, we shared last week sort of the, the teaser message of where we're going. And, you know, we just thought, well, what better where, place to start than with uh, a thing that's burning in all of our hearts and the pastoral team and the executive team. And it's the issue of revival. So I thought, man, if you're going to give me revival as the first service message, I'm in the right place. Thank you, Lord. So let's do this. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer as we, as we turn our hearts toward the word. And let's just ask Jesus to come and to, to speak to us richly through the scripture. So, Lord, here we are. And we desire you more than anything, Jesus. We desire your will, your ways. We ask you, Lord, that you would speak to us with clarity this morning. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest on us. I pray that you'd open up your heart to us, that we could perceive what you desire to do in the church, in this spiritual family, and in the church in this region and across our nation and the nations. God, give us vision today. Would you mark us with heavenly vision that we could conceive of the things that are burning in your heart and that they would be our desires and our pursuits. And Lord, I'm asking that you would help me to speak as your oracle. Help me to declare with clarity the things of the heart of God. And Lord, stand with me here. Hold my hand, I ask. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Amen and amen. Well, what we decided was Jeff and I would just kind of mix it up these next few weeks so you won't know who's preaching at which service. That way you got to, you know, you're just going to get one of us and that's just how it is. So you get me today and uh, I'm just excited about preaching about revival. But more than preaching about revival, I pray that heaven would invade us and we'd feel a touch of revival on our hearts today. We'd feel something from the throne room to break in upon us here in time, and it would, it would change us and rearrange us. You know, I remember it was like 1994, 93, and I remember a friend of mine called me. He was at a, a, a church service in, in Florida, and this, this power of God had been unleashed on this congregation there was 10,000 people and I remember he took his cell phone and he goes hey man you got to hear this actually back then it wasn't cell phones he called me on a landline and I answered a landline if you don't know what that is ask your parents <laughs> those of you the younger generation but, but I'm, I'm sitting there on my landline and he calls me because you got to hear this and he holds the phone up in the air and all I can hear is this mighty roar coming from the crowd and I can hear like screaming and laughing and praying and and rejoicing and it just sounds I mean just like a freight train of church power of Christian people just expressing the heart of God and and, and I and I I said man where are you what are you doing he goes man I'm in a meeting there's 10,000 people and God has taken over the building yeah. taken over the building and I just I mean 1993 like I'd been saved like four or five years and I mean just the images of what what could that be and, and at that point you couldn't go online and tune into the live stream it, I was like what could this look like what could it be he goes every person is experiencing the power of God he goes it's like acts 2 the Holy Spirit has been poured out 
And I remember that phone call. It just put something deep in my heart. And I began to pray, God, if you can do it there in Florida, you can do it here in Georgia. And if you can do it in a church building, you can do it in a city. And if you can do it in a city, you can do it in a nation. God, I want you to pour out your spirits. And it just being a, a consuming desire of my heart, and it began to become the, the main thing that, that I would pray for. I'd say, God, pour out your spirit and send revival. And, and in fact, it got to be like this. I would pray over my food. I'd go, God, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and send revival in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's true. And I began to read stories of historic revivals. And I began to read the scripture of the, the many revivals accounts in the Bible. And I began to have an ever-increasing desire to see the biblical reality of when heaven comes down and invades earth, to see it in our day and our time. I, I, I was always one of these people that believed if God is God, then he should do God's stuff. You know, God shouldn't be, in our minds, just a guy that's like a little bit taller than us and a little bit stronger than us and has a little bit more power than us. No, God is infinite. And when he breaks in upon a people and I'm in upon a place, it should absolutely shift and change the normal state of affairs of those people in that place. And I remember as a young man just having this desire, this burden, this vision for revival. And then the more I read, the more I realized that every great revival that has ever been, it started with a concerted, focused effort of fasting and prayer. And so I was a revival guy, but that made me become a prayer guy. And I remember meeting this lady, it was maybe the first person I ever met that called herself an intercessor. And I just thought, you know, I don't know what intercessors do, but can you just tell me everything you know about intercession? Because I'd heard about these old revivalists, and they'd have these intercessors that would pray and pray and pray and pray. Like Charles Finney, he had an intercessor that would go with him, and he would pray for a month in the place before he ever did a revival meeting. And that intercessor would get the reward of heaven first, and then Finney would come in behind and preach, and the power of God would be let loose. And I thought, man, if we could ever get one of those intercessors around us, this could be awesome. It's like 1996 at this point, and I just said, yeah, I remember I met this lady, she was an intercessor. I said, ooh, what's that? Tell me everything you know about prayer. And she just began to explain to me about her relationship with the Lord and intimacy with Jesus and how she just dialogued with the Lord. In fact, it, it wasn't anything spooky or mystical or superhero-ish. It was just normal. Just how she had this close relationship with the Lord and it was a part of every moment of her life, and her daily dialogue from the heart level was her and Jesus talking about the state of affairs in the earth. And I thought, wow, this intercession thing, this might be for everybody. And guess what I come to find out? It is. It's for everybody. It's interesting to me that there's no specific calling to intercession, like as a specific you know, office in the Bible, you know, Jesus is the great intercessor. He's at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession right now. And did you know we're called into the same ministry? All of us, whether you're a business leader, a church leader, a, 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 a house leader, a mom at home, no matter what area and sphere of society you're called into, you're called to partner with the heart of Jesus as an intercessor. The whole church 
are priests before the Lord. And that's who we are. And so I, I thought, man, I want to get into this intercession thing. And so I, I was a revival guy, and I became a prayer guy. And then I realized when I became a prayer guy, the Lord said, no, no, no. It's not about worshiping a revival. And it's not about worshiping a prayer meeting. 24-7 prayer is amazing, but it's not my pursuit. My pursuit, and revival is amazing, but it's not my pursuit either. See, I had to become a revival guy to become a prayer guy, and I had to become a prayer guy to become a Jesus guy. And when I became a Jesus guy, I realized getting a hold of Jesus is all that really matters. I mean, I was saved, I was born again, I was spirit-filled, I was living for the Lord, but I realized that there are so many ancillary pursuits of life that, that are the, the things that comes from the hand of the Lord, but they're not the face of the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? And so often we can get distracted by pursuing the blessing of the Lord, and we forget the Lord of the blessing. And man, if there's one thing the Lord's taught me in the last 12 years of 24-7 prayer, it's that if, if I'll devote myself to seeking Him, I'll find Him, and when I find Him, all of my dreams will come true. Everything I've ever wanted, I'll have. Because, beloved, there are so many things that I think for so long that we've dangled out in front of the church and we said, this is what we got to go for. This is what we got to go for. This is what we got to go for. And I would just say this. We have to go for Jesus. And if we get Jesus, we get everything. Hallelujah. We get the kingdom. We get the kingdom come and the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I just tell you that little feature of my story so you don't misunderstand the thing that I want all of us to be as a spiritual family is a people who are in hot pursuit of Jesus. And there's something that Jesus has in his heart. It's a promise that the Father gave him in Psalm 2. The Father promised Jesus. He said, ask of me, son, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. And so the son has a desire for the mass salvation of nations. And, and, you know, oftentimes in the church we think, right, nations, all those other nations. No, no, we're a nation too. It's called the United States. And the father has promised Jesus the U.S. as much as he's promised Jesus Somalia. Right? So we've got to send to the outer reaches, but we've also got to take responsibility for the zone of influence the Lord's placed us in. And I would just tell you this. There is a desire burning in the heart of the Son of God for this nation, for this region, and it's nothing less than a massive, full-scale move of the Spirit, massive revival, massive salvations, the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's from that spirit I want to share today, because I can't teach you a message about revival. But what I can do is open my heart, and hopefully we, we have the heart of the Lord open to us, and we get marked. We get the impression of heaven on our own hearts so that we have heaven's vision 
for what God can do in a place. I believe that the Lord is right now, we are in a very unusual moment. The Lord is aligning things. He's bringing intersections together. This merge is just one piece of a giant puzzle that the Lord is fitting together because he intends to move in power in our day and in our time. I believe it. 25 years of praying under this end, and I'm more convinced of it today than I was when I first began to pray. And so I want to begin to just to share with us, and I want to, I want to speak from the Word and, and speak from historical accounts, but ultimately what I want to do is I want to see people's hearts get marked with a vision that's way beyond church as usual. You know, we can't just come together to do church as usual, beloved. I mean, we're going to do community and family. We're, we're going to do body ministry and care. But if, if, if we just have a kumbaya time and we don't have a sense in our heart that we want to make a difference in our generation, I think we're missing the heart of God. And all of us together, there's something about the unified power of the body when we're going together after you know, specific kingdom endeavors. Man, God multiplies the anointing. He multiplies the power and the effectiveness is increased and the kingdom of God is released. And if we could come together and agree in heart, soul, mind, strength, agree that we want to see Jesus' kingdom manifest on earth in our day and in our time, as it is in heaven. Beloved, the gates of hell won't prevail against that. They can't. So we're talking about revival. So when we say revival, oftentimes it, it, it elicits a bunch of different ideas in different people's minds because, you know, some of us grew up in churches that revival was a week during the summer where we had a special speaker or a special emphasis. It was kind of like a homecoming. Hallelujah. Some good meetings in those revivals. Some of us grew up in a denomination where they had a, an annual revival conference or camp meeting. Glory to God. How many people ever went to a camp meeting? Let's just see. Yay. And, and so we have these mentalities oftentimes that are really disparate about what revival is. But, but here's the thing. There's something that's in the heart of God that, that really is this, this idea of, of reviving of life that we can all go to together. So I want to give us some, some definitions. Usually, uh, when, we, when we use the word revival, we have all these different mentalities. But what, what the Bible actually emphasizes is this phrase that talks about a recovery of life to that which has almost lost life. A recovery of breath to that which is almost out of breath. And so when, when the Bible is speaking about revival or, or recovery of life or the shining forth of God, it's speaking about it because there has been a, a sense of, of loss in the heart of the church. There's been a sense of lifelessness come on the people of God. And so the people of God, what happens is the cycles of the scriptures, you find that they will go through these seasons of backslidings and wanderings and they'll realize we don't have the life of God and we'll go... They'll go, help God. And so it's in those seasons when the people of God turn to God and they say, help. And to me, that's like one of my favorite prayers. Help. Because if I can't say anything, I can say, help. You know, sometimes I don't know what to say. So I just go, help. Please, God, help. 
Sometimes I don't even get help out. I just go, <laughs> and it counts. God understands. <laughs> he understands all of it. He understands our heart. But it's when the church realizes, man, we've lost life and we need a recovery of breath. And that's when God answers that prayer, that, that recovery of life, that recovery of breath, revival. And so when we see revival, what we usually think of is the church coming back alive and then simultaneously mass numbers of salvations happening in the world. Uh, history records times where many, many, many people would get saved. You know, first and second, and great, and it uses this term, awakening. And, and this is kind of when, we, when we're talking about revival, this is what we're looking for. A recovery of life in the church and an awakening happening in the world. And I believe the Lord wants to release a third great awakening in America. I truly believe this, that God wants to sweep from, from coast to coast, north to south, not just the Bible Belt. I believe he wants to target the northeast, the northwest, where, where darkness and, and dullness has crept in in a big way. I believe he wants to move in power. I believe he wants to see signs, wonders, and miracles, and salvations break out in the hardest areas in the United States. I believe he wants to visit the nation's capital. Come on. I believe he wants to visit state capitals the political structures, and I believe he wants to visit the pulpits of the church. That there would be a recovery of life. And beloved, this is what we're talking about. We're saying revival. We're talking about something historic. We're not talking about a set of a week of good meetings. We're talking about where God comes and invades, where the church gets right with God, and where the world breaks forth with salvation springing up from the ground. Can you say amen? So, I've studied this topic so much over the last 25 years, and, and some of my favorite writers have written books on this subject, and I, I love Martin Lloyd-Jones, his book called Revival. Let me just read a couple quotes from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, revival above everything else is the mass glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I love that. Revival is the mass glorification of Jesus Christ. See, we don't have to pursue revival. We pursue Jesus being glorified. We pray for his breaking forth and his shining forth. And when Jesus shines forth, like Psalm 80 says, when he shines forth the mass glorification of Jesus, that causes the earth to come under revival. Come on. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he goes, a revival, it really means days of heaven upon earth. See, what would it look like? What would it look like if all of our services went from being really good to really God? <laughs> you, know, you, know what I'm you, you go to church and they, and they go, well, how was service? Oh, it was good. How was the worship? It was good. It was anointed. There was a touch. How was the preaching? Oh, it was good. Well, Billy preached, but it was oh, it's still good. <laughs> but what if, you know, everybody's oh, good. I'm glad it was good. Yeah, it was good. But what if the way you had to describe it was, I went to church this morning and God. Well, what do you mean? I mean, just God. What happened? God happened. 
God happened in the foyer. God happened in the children's church. God happened in the parking lot. God was happening everywhere. We couldn't escape God because he was all over the place. <laughs> it was just God. See, there's this little step between good and anointed and God happened. And here's the thing. There's nothing under human means that you can take to make the shift, but you can get in the way of it. And that's what I hope we would be, a people who get in the way of revival. Amen. Another one of my favorite revival preachers, teachers, is Arthur Wallace. In fact, if you ever wanted, if you ever wanted to read a, a book on revival, there's, there's one book in my mind that tops them all. It's Arthur Wallace's book called In the Day of Thy Power. In the Day of Thy Power, Arthur Wallace. But this quote comes from Arthur Wallace's book. He says this, Revival is a divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. It is God revealing himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs abandoned. It is man retiring into the background because God has taken over the field. It is the Lord making bare his holy arm and working extraordinary power on saint and sinner. Beloved, this is what we're after. There's, there's a point where human means fail. There, there's a point where human abilities, human abilities come to an end. And, and, and what we tend to think is that if we could all just, just do our best, you know, get really a lot of church growth going or something, it would be like revival. And I would say, no, no, you're completely misunderstanding. We're not talking about church growth. We're talking about God taking the field. Now, as leaders, we're committed to continue to shepherding and leading the flock among us, but we're talking about an invasion of heaven on earth that is beyond what any human being can muster. It's beyond what any individual anointing can bring. It's heaven breaking in with power and shifting things, changing things. I've had a couple little seasons in my life where I've been blessed to experience in like six and nine month intervals the inbreaking of God in services. And, and we went through these seasons of, of you know, meeting three and four times a week just in church services because God was being poured out and we couldn't get enough. And I can remember quite vividly many times showing up and feeling like, Lord, if you don't come tonight, I mean, there's hundreds of people here ready to experience you. If you don't come tonight, I'm stuck because I don't have anything. I don't have enough bullets in the gun. Like, I don't have anything to offer. And the, I can remember being in worship at times going, God, if you don't move tonight, oh, help. And then I would just say, well, if you want me to stand up there and look like a goofball, that's fine. All for your glory. But I can remember times where I, feel, I felt nothing. I walked just going to the platform and Boom, heaven would fall. Before I could say or do anything, the fire of God had hit the entire room. People were bent over, weeping and wailing, crying out to God before I'd even say a word. See, it's the difference between a good meeting and a God meeting, beloved. And I believe this, God doesn't want to just do it in church. He wants to do it in the bank. 
He wants to do it in the business place. He wants to do it on the highway. He wants to do it in the QT. He wants to do it on the college campus. He wants to do it in the high school. How many of you know this high school over here, Collins Hill, they need a touch of God on the campus. They need an outbreaking of heaven on the campus. God is looking across the land and he's seeking those who will, who will worship him in spirit and truth, who will pursue him for an inbreaking of heaven on their region. And why not us? Why not us? Why not here? Why not right here, right now, where we all just say, you know what? We just refuse to settle for church as usual. We're going to pursue the face of Jesus. We're going after Jesus. Why not us? I want to share a little bit of history, some of my favorite stories of the church from history. Just to, I, I really am just trying to, to whet your appetite. I'm just trying to prick your heart a little bit to, to raise your vision. But I remember reading, I mean, I probably read in, in a six-month period of time in 1996, I think I read like 25 books on revival. I read every history, biography I could get my hands on. And I remember several of those stories just marked me for, for good. And, and one of them is 1801 in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. In fact, are we going there? We're going, my wife and I and my family, we're going to go on, a, on a, a vacation this summer. We're going to go through this historic revival place. But what happened was this. Barton Stone, who is the founder of the Christian church, some of you will be familiar with that, Christian Church and Disciples of Christ. They're kind of out of the same flow. Well, they all came out of this massive revival in Cane Ridge, Kentucky in 1800s, in 1801. And what happened was this. They were going to have the original camp meeting. And what they did was they called the church from the region together. They said, we're all going out to this, this campground, and we are going to gather. And they were gathering for one thing. We're going to gather for Holy Communion. Isn't that interesting? They were going to have a communion around the, the body and the blood of the Lord. And so they gathered a week in advance, and, and they expected 1,000 a, a or 2,000 people. 20,000 people showed up. It was the largest single gathering that they had recorded in, in the history of North America till that, up to that point. And what happened was absolutely otherworldly. So 20,000 people in a massive campground, and there would be seven or eight preachers preaching at the same time at different places around the campground, some on stumps, some on wagons, and they're preaching the gospel. And as they're preaching the gospel, the power of God is falling like fire. And you can go back and you can read the historical accounts. In fact, if you Google it today, you can go back and read the, the accounts from that day. But there's this one that I'm just really fond of. It's this unsaved guy who went out there to mock the revival. It's always these guys that end up with the bullseye on them. He went out there to mock it, and he's overcome. His, the way he described it, he's overcome with the fear of the Lord. And he describes this thing, seven and eight preachers preaching at the same time and heaven coming down and people falling and weeping and, and wailing and, and, and experiencing the power of God. Many people repenting of their sins and coming to Jesus afresh. And then he said there would be times when the preacher would be just preaching, just preaching. Nobody's touching anybody. They're just preaching the gospel and the power that is let loose is taking people down in mass. They're falling as the word of the Lord is going forth. Can you imagine, beloved? 
They're standing and listening, and as the preacher would preach, power is let loose, and all sorts of people falling under the power. And this guy said, when he saw it, it seemed like a battery of rifles had been opened on the crowd. And he said he was so fearsome that he turned to run. And he's running away, but he said the fearsomeness of God was chasing him down like a lumbering giant. I've never been to that church service, but I want to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on. And he said soon he was swept up under the power and couldn't stand, but could only prostrate himself under the fear of the Lord, entrusting his heart to Jesus. Beloved, it's those kind of outbreaks that God does in the earth that mark specific times that sends the church on a trajectory. It's those types of recovery of life. When I, another one is a, the Welsh revival, one of my favorite ones, 1904. I love uh, Evan Roberts. He was the principal figure uh, of the Welsh revival. And I remember when I first read about the Welsh revival, he was 26 and I was 26. I thought, if he could do it, I can do it. And this guy, Evan Roberts, story is so interesting. He was so hungry for God. He said, I'm going to go to Bible school. I'm going to study and learn everything I can. And he would get gripped with the presence of God in the Bible school classes, fall out of his chair, and be interceding and groaning and travailing on the floor in the classroom. Well, you know, it's hard to teach class like that. They said, you know, Mr. Roberts, can you please just remove yourself from this place? This is out of order. And then you know, he said, yes, I'm so sorry. And he'd go in a, in a closet or a side room and just cry and weep and wail to God for revival. And then the next day, he'd go back into class and fall out of his chair again. And the teachers finally got fed up with him. They, they, they sent him to the doctor. They said, we don't know what's going on with this guy. There's something really wrong with him. And they diagnosed him with religious mania. He said, you can't go to school here. You're a religious maniac. True story. So they sent him home. He went home to, to Leper Wales, where he's from, and he told his pastor, he said, I'm on fire for God. He goes, can I just have one meeting with the young people of the church? He goes, just let me share my heart. And the pastor was like, no, man, you're religious mania. I don't, I don't want anybody to catch that. Like, he put him off. And then finally, Evan Roberts, he said, he said God, just one meeting. And eight, he said, fine, you get, you get a Sunday night meeting. Everybody's gone home. This way, it's not going to be, a, you know, not, not a lot of people will be paying attention. Eighteen kids come. And when Evan Roberts begins to speak, the fire of God falls. And all 18 of them are, gro are groaning and weeping and crying out for the power of God. And that one little meeting with 18 teenagers, it begins to expand and expand and expand. Until two years into the revival, 100% of the nation was born again. Now, come on. It was so pervasive because Wales, they had a big, big uh, coal mining industry. It was so pervasive that all, uh, so many of the, the coal miners, they would get saved. And, and here's what happened. They actually had to retrain their horses because they had trained their horses with cuss words. So when they got saved, they couldn't cuss at their horses anymore. And they had to retrain all of them. It was so comprehensive that the prisons were completely empty. The police had nothing to do but come to the revival meetings. 
Can you get a vision of what it can look like when heaven comes down? My favorite story of the Welsh Revival is when the editor of, of Great Britain's largest newspaper, the Pall Mall Gazette, he was going to come and do a, a story on the revival. Again, he was going to mock it, make fun. And he gets off the train, and he turns, and he, and he begins to walk down a street, and he said, hey, listen, he grabbed the first person he could, he said, hey, can you tell me where the revival is? And the person that grabs him, they said, you just walk down to the end of the street, turn left, and you'll feel it. How would that be if you could invite people to church by saying, hey, just drive down 20 and you'll feel it? <laughs> and so he said he went to the revival and he said the most fearsome presence of the Lord was on not just the church, but on the entire surrounding area. God had come down in power. And he said, the issue here isn't what do I think about the revival in Wales. He goes, you're reading this article. I'm imagining that I've got an opinion. And you're wondering, what do I think about the revival in Wales? He goes, the, the issue isn't what do I think about the revival in Wales. The issue is what does the revival think about me? Because the presence, the divine presence of God had so overtaken the entire nation that every person had to deal with this one question, what will you do with Jesus? Shouldn't we get to a place where the church is no longer a laughing stock and comedians punchlines? Jesus is risen, Jesus is alive, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. How could it be that Jesus' name is used as a cuss word and that the church is used as punchlines on late night television? How could that be? Beloved, there is something I believe in the heart of God where God wants to release the powers of heaven on earth in such a way that no one would dare, no one would dare mock the beautiful name of Jesus because of the fearsomeness of God. Not because they're afraid, like in Islam, where they're afraid of terrorists, but because they are in reverence of the holiness of an infinite God. Oh, beloved, if we could just get a vision. Acts chapter 3. Talked about history. I've talked about my personal experience. I've tried to give a little definition. What's the Bible say? Because it really doesn't matter what I think, what I feel, what my experiences are, or even what history says. What really matters is what does the Bible say? Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Here's Peter, he's preaching. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on the day of Pentecost. And now he's calling the people to wholehearted abandonment. And he says, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing. Everybody say, times of refreshing times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. Times of refreshing. This, this phrase is probably the most specific phrase that we have in the scripture that speaks of revival, what we would use as revival. That, that word times 
It's a Greek word, kairos. You guys know it. It means literally appointed times. It would be like in your calendar, you have the appointment, you put it in there, and you know when it's going to happen, right? It's the appointed time. I want to tell you, beloved, God has a calendar. He has dates in his calendar, and he has times, kairos times that he's already marked out. I think I'm scratching here. That he's already marked out. And he said, this will be an appointed time in which I will move. Acts 3 says, repent, turn to God, let your sins be blotted out so that God will release the times, the appointed times that he already has in his mind that he wants to release. Beloved, there's a component of this that is fully sovereign that God has set up in his calendar. And then there is a component that is human in which we have to agree with the heart of heaven. We have to get ourselves in the way of what God wants to do. See, I don't know when his times of refreshing are coming. I just know they're coming. And so what do I want to do? I want to live my life in a way that gets me in the way. And honestly, I don't care if I get to be a greeter, an usher, or a parking attendant. I don't care. Just let me be there when God moves. I just want to be there. Times. There's appointed times. Times that the Lord has seen from eternity past. People that God has dreamed of, hosting his presence. See, what happened in Cane Ridge, and what happened in Wales, and what happened at Azusa Street, and and the Hebrides Revival, and, and all the other ones in history, God had seen it way beforehand. And he found a people who would cooperate with his desire who would pray and fast and and seek the face of God, who would get rid of hidden sin, who who weren't satisfied with church as usual, who who weren't just, just good with just getting along, but they wanted God to come in power. And, and it's those things that collided, and it was a time that God had set forth. A time of refreshing. And then this word refreshing. It's the closest word in the New Testament that we have to revival. It's a Greek word. I'll sound really special. I know two big Greek words. This is one of them. Anapsuxis. I think the other one's koinonia. I know them both. Anapsuxis. It means recovery of breath. Recovery of life. The imagery is of a corpse, but he's not dead. He's almost dead. And the life comes back into that body that's almost dead. The the one that's completely out of breath, can't breathe at all, and they come alive. God wants to refresh his church. He wants to do this anapsuxis to all of us. See, some of us right now, you're excited. You feel like something's in the air. Some of you, you've heard this message at some level in your past, and you've prayed for revival, and you're like, you know, I've kind of already done that, been there, got a couple T-shirts, I don't know. Listen, if we live in a cynical mindset, if we live thinking about what God used to do, we'll only ever talk about what he used to do. 
But if we could see that the Bible is the same, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that there are times of refreshing that God has set aside, and it says, until the Lord Jesus comes. You see, there are revivals that God wants to release in the earth all the way up to the second coming. And every single one of these revivals, it, it, it tells us, the word is, it portents. It portents the coming of the Lord Jesus. Every revival is a prophetic sign that Jesus is, in fact, coming. Because when he returns, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a thousand years of heaven on earth. Glory to God. And so our pursuit is for the person of Jesus to manifest in power that the kingdom would come and that culture would shift and come under the glory of God. That's where we want to live, beloved. That times of refreshing and absuxus, the recovery of life. See, beloved, there are going to be regional revivals and then there's going to be a global revival and then the Lord Jesus is going to return. Acts chapter 2 makes it really clear. He says this, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Brown flesh. Red flesh. Yellow flesh. Black flesh. White flesh. And every other kind of flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Do you understand? There is a coming outpouring of the spirit that we have not yet seen. And every person on the planet will at least feel the impact. This is what's coming, beloved. If Acts 2 is true, and it is, then that means we are barreling towards a day where heaven is going to encounter the earth in a way we've never seen before. It's only responsible that we get ourselves in tune with what heaven's about to do. That we get ourselves in the way of it. I want to be a people that is so informed by the scripture, not by what's normal in church, but by what the scripture says, that I actually live like it's real. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he gives us this crazy phrase. I'll say it my way. And the children's church is going to get hit hard. <laughs> your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I would just tell you something. And we've had these conversations. But for us to get in rhythm with the heartbeat of God, we've got to be ready for the five-year-old coming with a word of the Lord. For the ten-year-old coming and he just unbuttons all your business. You ever gotten a word of knowledge from a 10-year-old? It will tell you how big God is. Because they'll speak the secret of your heart, and then they go, all right, Avengers, you know? And you're like, what? I love junior highs. They will be so serious. God! And two minutes later, like, it's just like, you guys. Why does he pour it on the kids first? Because you know that they can't make it up. He says, I've got times of refreshing. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. He says, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. I'll show wonders 
and heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, beloved, if the church, if we could just get in the way of the heartbeat of heaven, what, we can live in expectancy for God to do God-sized things. I don't want to go through run-of-the-middle, run-of-the-mill, low-bar Christianity. I don't want to live in a zone where everything that I see is something I could have produced. I want to live in the beyond. I, I want to live in the place where, man, this is only God. I know this might be challenging for some people's faith, but listen, let, let's imagine, let's dream together that God really wants to let his son Jesus have the whole region, because he really does. And then let's say, okay, God, what's our part in this drama? What's our part in this story? How do I aid the coming of the Lord? How do I aid the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out? Because I definitely don't want to be one that's in the way of it, in a negative way. You know what I'm saying? I want to get in the way of it in a cooperative way. I was, I've been thinking about this all morning. I just want to share this. It's just, it just caught my attention. So this morning, as I'm leaving, getting ready to come, my, uh, that verse, pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters, it just, it's just ringing in my heart. I just need to share this story. I'm leaving, and my seven-year-old daughter and I begin to have a conversation about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just normal stuff, you know. And she begins to weep because she wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she comes over to me, and she's just holding me. And I'm looking at her, and she has this one face where she cries. It's just, <laughs> and she is in full-blown, like, ah. This hunger and this desire for God to fill her. And I said, baby, tell me what's going on. What are you feeling? What are you feeling? And she couldn't articulate. She goes, I don't know. And all she would do was hold me. And I'm like, I can't even look at you. You're too close. Like, I want to see her face and see what's happening. And, I, and she goes, I want it. I want it. How come I don't have it now? And I was just, you know, it was just one of those moments. And you just think, what is going on here? Like, I'm trying. I'm heading for the door. And uh, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I think the Lord was doing that to her as a prophetic sign. Because in her heart, she's mourning and longing for the outbreak of the Holy Spirit. She doesn't even know why. She's just seven. She couldn't articulate to you anything that I just said. There's just a desire in her for God to be God. And, and here's the thing. Out of the mouths of babes, right? I just believe this. I feel like she was even a sign for some of you. That you, you get to that place and you're hungry for God and you just, you don't know to pull back or to go in. And she, her fear was, what if he leaves me out? And I feel like some of you might be even in that same position. So he said he pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I think he was making her a prophetic sign to even some here this morning. 
that God is going to meet you in your hunger if you'll continue to seek Him and you'll continue to believe. Just continue to believe. Get rid of your cynicism. Get rid of your doubt. Get, get, get rid of all the reasons why what's untidy, you know, I don't know. I might look, you know, I wrinkle my clothes. I mean, just get rid of all of that and say, God, whatever you want, I want it. I don't want man-made manufactured church anymore. I want God. If you'll allow that to be your heart cry, God will meet you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Amen. And I will tell you, spiritual hunger is a critical key to seeing revival. If we're hungry, if we'll seek God, he never lets the hungry go unfilled. If we'll seek him with all of our heart, he says, you'll find me. And oh, beloved, if we would allow the desire for God to well up in our soul and then we just say, yes, God, I'm going to live in this place of desire and not push it aside, not push it down, I tell you, God's going to meet that. Here's why. Hunger from heaven doesn't come for, from earth. Hunger for heaven doesn't come from earth. There's none that seeks God. No, not one. But if you're hungry, that's heaven already moving on your heart. That's God already moving on you. The key is to stay in that place and not push it aside and allow that hunger to become real in you. And God's intention for you is not to tease you. It's to fill you with his presence and his power. Amen. It's hunger, holiness, and humility. And what did you guys do with the clock? It is like 1220. How did you guys do that? I'm just preaching and just fast forwarded it on me. Okay. Hunger, holiness, and humility. There's one thing I know about the Holy Spirit. It's his first name, holy. People want to play games with the world and compromise and try to get Holy Spirit to move in power. Beloved, the activity of the Holy Spirit for you is to separate yourself from sin, to get away from every form of filthiness that defiles you. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about hearts that are alive in God and you just start saying no to things that are compromising so that you can get yourself in the way. Hunger, holiness, and humility. Because ultimately, the power is of him. It's not of any of us. That's why he gave us jars of clay. He gave us jars of clay to fill us with glory so that nobody would ever think, oh, those people came up with that. So everybody would look at it and go, the only way that that happened is God. So we stay low, we stay holy, and we stay pursuing God. And I believe this, beloved. If we'll get ourselves in the way by living with a desire that heaven has, living with, with the focus to go after God, live this way with our whole heart, heaven will meet us. He has filled the hungry with good things. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's all stand.